My name is Don Wagner. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, we are really glad that you've chosen to, to join with us on this last day of the year and to worship our Lord and Savior, our risen Lord and Savior. Um, if you're new here, if, if you're visiting with us perhaps for the first time, we're, we're thankful that you're here and we'd love a chance to, to get to know you, shake hands with you and just learn your name and learn a little bit about you. Um, I'll be down front after the service with some other, with other pastors and, and other elders and um, we'd love a chance to, if you would, to just come forward and introduce yourself. Um, we have a, a beautiful opportunity to, to sing of the goodness of God and, to, and speak this morning. I hope that's exactly what you hear as I share with you a word from, from God's word. You know, this past month, Pastor Ryan has been speaking to us of the promises, the Old Testament promises, and how they've been fulfilled in Christ. And that, that we know that Emmanuel, God with us, has come. Jesus has come. That he came to be our redeemer. He came to pay the price for our sin. He came to be our savior, to rescue us from the wrath of God and pay a sin debt you and I couldn't pay on our own. And I want to pick up on that theme and, and look a little deeper into these truths today, if you'll join me in this. Uh, you know, Jesus, that just, just think about this for a minute. The idea that Jesus, fully God from eternity past, would leave the presence of his heavenly father and come to earth take on human flesh and leave that, that, that fellowship he's always had with the Father to come and redeem us. He came to pay a price that we couldn't pay. In our text this morning, I want to look in, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16 and, and see how Paul, the Apostle Paul is explaining to us that not only did he come and take on flesh, but in that flesh life, he gave us a model, a model for us to follow. If you would stand with me, out of reverence for the word, if you're able to, please stand with me as we read the word of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look, eat, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you might be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Heavenly Father, as we look now to your word, we pray that you would guide us. Holy Spirit, fill us, speak only what you want spoken. Guide us into the truth. 
and change us as a result of hearing your word this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul begins this passage of Scripture with an emphasis on what believers have experienced as part of their relationship, their unity, the fellowship we have with God in Christ Jesus. Why our attitudes should be Christ-like because of what he's done. Why we should encourage and be a blessing to others because of what he's done. Christ's encouragement, his comfort, his love, his affection. It brings unity into the church. As we live this model of Christ, it, 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 it shows to the world the Christ-like attitudes that the church is to have and, and, and our hunger for others to know that, that blessing of that fellowship and that sweet relationship with God. He says, therefore, if you've been encouraged, be an encourager. If you've been comforted, comfort others. If you've received compassion and sympathy, be compassion compassionate and sympathetic to others so that they might see what we just sung about, the goodness of God in us and through us. This was Christ's example of love, of a selflessness, an unselfish love that he modeled for mankind during his days on earth. You know, people have sought the secret of happiness Paul says right here, you want the secret of happiness? It's found in Christ, and it's found in the church, in the fellowship and the unity that we model and represent. With this context today, within this context here, at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2, I want to look at three important truths that, that Paul drills down into, that Jesus came, Jesus died, and he is alive and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and he's coming back. The Christmas story, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7, we see the Christmas story here. And, and, and what we see is that what we've been talking about all month and been celebrating this Advent, that this King Jesus, eternal God, left the court of heaven to be born as a baby in an obscure manger to obscure parents in an obscure town. The theologian Kenneth Cancer wrote, Concerning our understanding of this truth of the Christmas story, he says, many Christians only pay lip service to the truth of Christmas. To accept the idea that Beth the Bethlehem babe really is the incarnate God alters everything with which we comfortably live. And it really does if you consider this. I know it's Pastor Ryan's one of his favorite songs, Mary, Did You Know?, and in, in, in this, the, the, the writer, Mark Lowry, he's getting to the point, of course Mary knew. But he's getting to the point to help us to consider that when she kissed that little baby, Mary, did you know you've kissed the face of God? Yeah, she knew. But he's reminding us of this truth, to sing of this truth. In, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5, Paul says, to draw us deeper into the reality of this truth, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Because he came, it's yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. You know, there was a, in days past, there was a radio host named Paul Harvey. And Paul Harvey, on his radio program, would draw people into deep truths from history. 
He'd remind us of what had happened. And he often would, would speak into that context a warning that if you don't pay attention to the facts of history, there's a warning for us in repeating them. But the reality is the facts of history include this birth of Jesus becoming man. He would inform, this Paul Harvey would inform his listeners of extraordinary things. And that's what we look at today. And he would begin his program, his radio program, he'd begin it by saying, and now, the rest of the story. I see some of you remember that. Well, Pastor Ryan has reminded us of the promises that God has made and how he's fulfilled them in Christ. And we've understood the, understood the great promises that he's made, why Jesus came, and now the rest of the story. You see, let me explain really quickly from Luke chapter 2. We see in Luke chapter 2 that Joseph and Mary take Jesus to celebrate Passover, which was their custom. As, as, as a righteous man, Joseph would lead his family in this. And, and they leave Jerusalem, and they typically would travel in caravans that day, and they find out a few days later Jesus isn't with them. And they go back to Jerusalem looking for him, and they find Jesus in the temple. And Jesus says to Joseph and Mary, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And Joseph and Mary were just among the earliest ones who were confused by something Jesus said and Luke. Chapter 2, verse 50, he says, And they did not understand what, this, what saying, that the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Jesus lived a human life. This God-man. Luke, primarily in his gospel, he focuses on the reality of Jesus as a man. And we, we see from Jesus' baptism at age 30, through his resurrection, his ascension back to the Father, which we read about in Acts chapter 1, all we know about of Jesus' youth is right here in these verses from Luke. And, and the Apostle Paul is teaching us about Jesus' life as a man. Because he took on flesh, he could model what obedience to the Father looked like. And because we could read and know about how he modeled a pleasing life to the Heavenly Father, to our Heavenly Father, we see and can do that too. Will we do it sinlessly? No, he did. But he shows us that a man can live in a way that's pleasing to God. Paul says in, in, in Philippians 2.1, he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, from his love, any participation from his spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. That like-mindedness that, that, that demonstrates the unity we have in Christ together as the church. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. It's okay for us to be concerned about our life, but also to the interests of others. That, that we have that selfless action and attitude exhibited through our lives. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, Paul says in this text, here's the quality of life that we can live because of our union with Christ. 
He uses the phrase, so if. He's not questioning if it's true. He's saying, because these are facts, if you've received this from Christ, live it out in the lives of others. Amen? We have a privilege to model Christ in the lives of others. Jesus' perfect model was he didn't consider himself first. He considered others more significant. He wasn't concerned about holding on to his breath, the grasp that he had in his deity of being fully God. You see, Jesus never laid aside his deity. He never laid aside his deity. He laid aside some of the privileges. When he emptied himself and took on human form, he emptied himself of some of the privileges of deity, but he never ceased being God. He cared deeply, he so deeply about you and me that he came and took on flesh. Jesus knew the Father's plan could be trusted, and he lived his life accordingly so. He lived his life doing the will of God, the Father. He says he's come to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was to come and pay our sin debt. We can follow that example if we hear the encouragement from the word of God this morning. How does that happen? We need the mind of Christ. That's what the scripture teaches us. We need the mind of Christ. And Paul was so confident, so confident in this model that Jesus gave to him. He says to the church, in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, he says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. In fact, Paul was so confident that he said nine times in his writings to the churches and to individuals, look to me, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Now, Paul knew he wasn't a perfect man. Romans chapter 7 teaches us very clearly. The things I want to do, I do not do. The things I do not want to do, those are the very things I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul knew he wasn't perfect. But he lived his life living out best he could that model, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that model of Christ. He cared for others more than he cared for himself. In fact, he even says here in the next chapter of Philippians in 3.17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, look to others who are living this Christ life model. That's what we see in the church. You know, I know I can live the Christ like model, and you know one of the evidences of that? I see you doing it. I look at, at your lives and the lives of those that the Lord has brought me along in my life with. And I look, I I watched my father-in-law before I came to faith in Christ at the age of 27. My father-in-law claimed to be a Christian. I looked at him and watched his life. You see, that model of Christ in him drew me to the Savior. Now, the reality is that, in in fact, I I saw a, a picture many years ago. And it's a picture of a shipwreck. You know, the stormy, stormy weather and these rocky coasts, and there's this massive ship just crashed upon these rocks. And underneath the caption under that picture said, it may be that the purpose of your life is to serve as an example to others. That's been my life at times, a shipwreck. But you know, it shows to me that I need to continue maturing spiritually. You see, we're being sanctified. We're being made holy. Oh, we've been sanctified, and we're being sanctified, and someday we'll be fully sanctified. But that process of being sanctified, that's spiritual maturity. And I look to you, and I look to others who have lived that 
and modeled that. And I learn how to grow spiritually from the faith of those who have gone before me. Jesus is our example in this. And, and it may be that, that sometimes I'm a good example of a bad example. It just shows me that I have room to grow. And you know, honestly, it makes me feel good when I receive undeserving love from you and from others that I don't deserve because I know how I've been and yet it helps me to see room for growth. And then I can model that as I see you doing it and others doing it. I've been able to model that perfectly, not always. But the reality is, is that life of Christ within us shines as a light to others. Paul reminds us in this text just how far, not only did Jesus come, but how far he was willing to go in taking on humanity, taking on flesh with a sacrificial attitude for others and obedience to the Father. Look at Philippians 2.8. Paul says, being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Literally in the Greek language, it's rendered even cross death. You see, Jesus, fully God and fully man, he had to be God, born of the Holy Spirit, so that he could be our sinless sacrifice. And he had to be man, born of Mary, so that he could die. 100% God, 100% man. And Paul points our attention to something really critical about him taking on flesh. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sin. We needed a perfect sacrifice, a sinless sacrifice. God's justice demanded it. God is love and God is just. We don't want willy-nilly justice, do we? And God is perfectly just and we want that. But Jesus died a cross death. The, you know, the, the, the purpose of crucifixion was to cause excruciating pain. In fact, even the word excruciating comes from the cross. Excruciating comes from the Latin word excruciare, ex, out of, or out from, cruciare meaning to crucify. And even in that word, we see cruc, the cross. The law says cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In fact, Paul points us to the work of Christ in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, Deuteronomy 21. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Crucifixion was meant to cause pain. It was horrific. In fact, the rulers used it to warn people against crossing them. This will happen to you. It was public. It was used from about, about the 6th century B.C. until the 4th century A.D. when Constantine, the Emperor, Roman Emperor Constantine, outlawed it. It was so horrible, it was reserved for the worst offenders. Jesus suffered as a worse offender for you and for me. You see, the criminal was first beaten. Then he had a cross beam laid on that raw skin, and he carried that to his point of execution. It was, in effect, he was digging his own grave. 
And he carries that crossbeam and he's nailed, laid down and nailed to a cross through his wrist. The, the, the hand was, and the wrist were considered one. And so they would nail it through the wrist so that it wouldn't tear. But you see, he, he was laid down, he was nailed, and then his feet were nailed. But before his, knee were, his feet were nailed, his knees were bent just a little bit for the intention of causing more pain. <laughs> so that, because when you hang from a cross from three nails, the, all your weight hanging from three nails, when you hang from that cross, you, you die of, of suffocation, of asphyxiation. And what happens is they, they would bend their knees so they could raise themselves up and, and get a breath because the muscles in the lungs start cramping. And they'd raise themselves up and cause those raw sores to, to drag on that wood. And, and, and the crucifixion was meant to be shameful. It was meant to cause pain. And Jesus did this for us. Now maybe you're asking yourselves, I once asked this question, why would... An all-knowing, all-knowing, eternal God sent his son to die a death like that. Why would God do that? To die in the cruelest form of torture that man had devised at the time. Here's the biblical answer. Because he loved us that much. It demonstrates the depth and the magnitude of God's love for us. It demonstrates just how far God was willing to go to bring us back into fellowship with himself. Romans 5.8, but God. We just sung it, didn't we? But God. That's the story of my life, by the way, but God. <laughs> I, but God. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died a death for us. He was our substitute. Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 20 that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes to the, to the, the, the church in Ephesus, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, and he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, today, in Christ, you are already seated with him in the heavenly places. We're, we're looking forward to a promised future. A promise made by God. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The cross that Jesus died on shows us. God's grace and God's kindness toward us. Now, you may be wondering, okay, Don, you could have talked about anything. What did you feel needed to be described about the crucifixion? We need to take hold of that truth, that reality of how far Christ was willing to go to redeem us. You see, Paul didn't write about it to the Philippians, you might be thinking, right? Well, do you know why he didn't? Because the Philippians saw it. They saw crucifixion. Some of them may have been present there at the crucifixion of Christ. They knew what Christ went through for them. That cross death. Jesus loves us with a selfless love. Hebrews chapter 12 follows Hebrews chapter 11. The, 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 the hall of faith, if you will, as it's, it's, it's been described. 
He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Since we've seen those who have gone before us in the faith, let us also lay aside what tangles us, pulls us down, the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race which is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, considered him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The cross is an encouragement to us. What Jesus went through for us is the encouragement. The, the joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? He was purchasing our salvation. He was making us right with God. Those who will believe. And he's returning to glory and he's bringing a whole bunch of folks with him. Because of what he did for us, we too can be back in right relationship with the Father. The cross teaches us the magnitude of God's love. So let me ask a question. Maybe it's obvious. We see the magnitude of the love of God through the cross of Christ. He was willing to go that far for you and for me. Why would anyone not choose salvation? This free gift of salvation. Now maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, how do you do that? We look at Romans chapter 10. He says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, for it is a heart, with the heart that one believes, and is justified. You know what justified means? It's just as if I'd never sinned. We're back in that kind of relationship with God. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. If you have not yet called upon Jesus to be your Lord, called upon to receive that gift from God, that free gift of salvation, would you please ask God today to help you do that? Don't leave here today with, without the certainty that you're going to spend eternity with him. The time... Maybe short for one of us. It might be short for all of us. We don't know. None of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. None of us knows. I mean, we've all been surprised by tomorrow at some point in our life, haven't we? We just don't know. Today might be my last day on earth. I can't know. But in Christ, if it, one reunited with our Heavenly Father through Christ, I can know that there's a promise and there's eternity, and there's peace, and there's rest, and there's security waiting for me. Present now, and waiting for me for all of eternity. Well, you know how these, uh, these shopping program or cable shows, they often, they're selling you, they're kind of leading you into a product, and one of their bylines is, but there's more. <laughs> well, today, there's more. I have what I hope is good news for you, more good news. Perhaps for some of you, I don't know, some hearing my voice, this might be a warning. But the reality is Jesus came, Jesus died, and our 
living, resurrected Lord who's seated at the right hand of God is coming back. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him. Because he was, uh, he was obedient to the point of death, even cross death, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look, jump down to verse 16. He says, holding fast to the word of truth, among whom you shine as lights in the world, hold fast to the word of truth, so that in the day of Christ Jesus, I might be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In the day of Christ Jesus, at the name of Jesus. Paul uses two key phrases here. So that, so that, at the name of Jesus. And in that day of Christ Jesus, he tell, he's telling us God has highly exalted this Jesus and given a name above every name. And he says, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And let me put this into Texas English, if you will. All y'all. All y'all. All us all. <laughs> we are going to bow the knee. Everybody, everybody is going to bow their knee. But to stick with our December theme of looking at Old Testament promises, I want to look at Isaiah chapter 45, because Paul is actually drawing from that text when he says this here in Philippians. Isaiah 45, verse 23. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. This is God's word through his prophet Isaiah. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord... It shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. You see, the context of this passage is, as, as the prophet Isaiah speaks, idols can't save you. You can't save you. Only God can save his people. And there is only one God and he alone can save you. Turn from your idols and turn to God. Paul says in verse 16 of chapter 2 of Philippians, so that in the day of Christ Jesus, he's speaking of a day that's coming with certainty, just as certainly as he came the first time, there's a day when he's returning. Paul actually quotes from this same passage in Isaiah to the Romans church. He says in Romans chapter 14, why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. You see, Paul uses Isaiah's quote. In Philippians chapter 2, he's pointing out the divinity, the humility, but that Jesus is God. That's the reality. In Romans 14, he's emphasizing Jesus is the judge. He's the one, he's the righteous judge who's coming back. Someday, this righteous judge, Jesus, is coming back and everyone will give an account to him. The question for us, for everyone, is whose righteousness will you stand before God in? Will you stand before your righteousness, before your works, what you've done, you think, that's pleasing to God? 
Or will you stand before God in Christ, in his righteousness? You see, in your righteousness, this efforts, efforts that man makes, that's religion. You see, every religion in the world is man try, trying to get right with God, trying to get to God. Only in Christianity does God come to man because it's all about relationship. Christianity is not religion, it's relationship. And are you going to stand before God in your efforts or what Jesus did for you? That's the question that has to be asked because there's coming a second advent. This righteous king is coming back. The first advent, he came as a baby, and he came to die and pay the price for our sin. But when he comes back, he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. He's coming back as the conquering king who will rule and reign forever. John, the apostle John, gets at this in Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse, one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Just as God spoke creation into existence, he's coming back and speaking to creation again. It says, he will strike down the nations with his word, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has written the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This Jesus is coming back. And if you're here today and you're just not sure that you're in the right relationship with God through faith alone in Christ, would you receive this as an encouragement? Receive this truth that this Jesus, there will be a second advent and he's coming back. As the writer of Hebrews says, I just want to speak to you. In Hebrews 3, take care, brothers, lest there be any, any of you in an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. That's our job. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did during the rebellion. Have come to share in Christ. Let each of us who have come to share in Christ hold out this word of truth. Shine as lights as Paul encourages us. He says in verse two, chapter 2 of Philippians in verse 14, do all things without grumbling so that you, or disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights. We shine as a bright light. Paul's echoing what Jesus said. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they see your good works, they see your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. On a day, perhaps, just like today, maybe today, Jesus is coming back. The baby who was born a king, who was given the name Jesus, who died across death to demonstrate God's deep love for us, he's coming back. This Jesus. And when he returns, 
Those who have hardened their hearts, you're going to bow the knee. They're going to bow the knee, but they're going to bow in fear and trembling. Those who have not, those who have received the good news of the gospel, we're going to bow our knees too, but we're going to do it in reverence and in worship of our King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, a lighthouse keeper, the band want to come on up, the lighthouse keeper was once asked, don't you fear those, those, the power of those storms coming at you? Don't you fear the, the fierceness of those storms? And the lighthouse keeper responded with, no. He says, you know, there are many out there on the sea, in that dark sea, who are in much greater danger than me. And if I don't keep my mirrors polished and my light shining, they risk the fear of death. Brothers and sisters, we have a light shining within us and through us to those who are at, fear, or at risk of eternal death. And let our light so shine that we might bring glory to God because this Jesus is coming back. We have the truth to offer those who lie in danger. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh, oh.